0: off of mute. Hi, everybody. All right, new place, uh, new space here. Uh, Man, we hope that this uh, provides a a physical space here um, for allow us to really deepen our our love for one another and linger a bit longer and maybe do lunch afterwards at uh, Kesha's Timber over there. And we got Star Ginger, right? Star Ginger. Is that what it's called? Did it just open? Has anybody had it? Nick, is it good? Nick, what do you think? It's okay? We get here and it's okay? Great. Awesome. Um, the book of Acts. All right. The book of Acts. Here we go. Um, where have we been? Where are we going? And where do I fit in? So previously in the book of Acts, we, we first looked at this overarching idea. We had this overarching idea that when we, when we read the book, we need to remember that this is a book that is primarily about Jesus, he is the primary actor in the book of Acts. But it's also a book that invites us, woos us onto the stage to become actors ourselves. And so we see three thematic elements throughout the story of the early church and in our story. And the first one is light. Right? We see that this, this presence of light, that light, the light of Christ shines and illuminates the heart and it beckons us towards a trust relationship with Jesus. The next one behind me is this transformation. It's a little bit lower, right? Somebody thought, you know, I don't know. I'm not one of those guys, right? Those sign guys, right? Transformation, right? I don't know. I can't do that. Can I do it? Can I do it? Did I do it? All right, good. All right. First time, guys. First time. I love that commercial where the kid's, the kids are like, what? Not, is it a progressive commercial? Yeah. I love that kid's going to be a great actor someday. Um, uh, transformation. So when anyone surrenders from their rebellion against Jesus. When anyone does that through Christ, God's Spirit comes and and fills him. It it allows us to actually cooperate with the work of healing and transformation and restoration. Uh, A different way of saying this is that we were created in the image and the likeness of God, but we lost in Genesis 3, The the ability to be like him. We no longer reflect him. We still bear the image of God, but his likeness is ruined in our lives. transformation is about changing us to become like Jesus. And this always leads to action. So the mission of Jesus to bring restoration to individuals and families and to even whole societies. The transformation that God brings about internally, It will, listen, it will only go as deep in your life as you go deep into a community of faith. Because the goal, the goal of you coming to know Christ is that you are in the same time brought into the family of the church. Right? Because we, we are the salt of the earth, not just me individually. We are called to, and we're invited to actively respond to the Spirit's work and to join God in His plan of restoration. So the first three chapters are just action packed. Amazing things happen in the first three chapters. The disciples received the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and God, we saw that God is on the move outside of the temple. He's empowering the disciples to speak in these different languages, and thousands come to faith after Peter preaches the good news of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So many languages, so many groups are represented that we learned that the Holy Spirit is the transforming presence of God for anyone who trusts in Jesus? Anyone. So chapter 3 ends with the disciples. They're Peter and John, and they're kind of walking along, and they see this paralyzed man on a mat who asks them for money. And he says, but I, don't, I don't have money, but what I can, I can give you. And the power of God, through, through Jesus, the power of God heals this man. And this gets the attention of the relig- It would get the attention of all of us, and it especially gets the attention of the relig- religious leaders and, and the elites. And so now this young, exploding church faces threats, both external and internal. In the last episode, we saw Peter and John, they faced all these external threats. They are thrown into prison, and they're commanded to not say another word, but they must. They must obey God rather than people. External threats, but also internal threats. The church begins to do what we have repeated again and again and again. The church divides over ethnic lines. Matt talked about this last week. So here we see that, that because of the work of Christ in us, we can choose courage when loyalties clash. See, because our primary loyalty must be to Jesus. Salvation is for anybody. And if we have Jesus, then Jesus will always confront our bigotry. So men full of the Spirit are given the task to love the marginalized. Why? Because this is the heart of God. This is who we love and who we serve. And now we come to chapter 6 through 8. These scenes include the first martyr for Jesus and the gospel extending even further. It has the disciples scattering and the gospel is on the move. But the start of the gospel moving from Jerusalem comes through immense pain. And it begs the question, what if something beautiful happens after the difficult? What if something beautiful happens after the difficult? It was a Saturday, uh, July 28, 2001. Uh, Michelle had uh, fallen asleep in the early afternoon on our couch. And uh, what woke her up was, was a lot of pain. We had our hospital bags packed, and this was it. I mean, this was it. And breathing through contractions, we made it to the hospital, in what I would say was just in time. I feel like I need to push, she said. Have we got some background music going on? Yeah. Nice, man. This is good. This makes the story, gives an element to it, right? Some context to the story. Can you guys feel it? She says, I need to, I need to push, she said. Uh, we don't have any rooms, the nurse says. We don't have any rooms. So why don't you come over here and let's just check the progress. Uh, in a matter of a few seconds, the nurse looked up at us and said, excuse me a moment. And she walked out the door and she said, get the OR ready, get the OR ready now. Like literally, we're like, there was, a, excuse me. Um, <laughs> in minutes, they had her on a bed and Michelle just, this is our first baby, Michelle pulled, pulled me close and and she had her he- her arm wrapped around me in a headlock position as i was resting on on her on her chest and and i'm looking and i can see the door and the nurse comes through the door and she goes oh let me help you and she pushes a button on the floor and the bed just rises upwards that was the help so now i'm standing in a position like this with with in a headlock as contractions are coming natural childbirth has lots of things going on. There's a lot of screaming and pushing and screaming and pushing and encouragement and then refusal. I can't do this! And then nurses coming in saying, you have to do this! This might have been actual dialogue I've heard. Things like this is natural childbirth and it's amazing what the human body can do. It's amazing. Less than an hour From when we walked in the door, less than an hour, the doctor held my baby, my daughter. What's her name, she asked, as I I heard my child's voice for the first time. Jillian, we said, with a G or a J, a G. That's my daughter's name. This was the dialogue happening. (laughs) And then we got to hold her. And she got to lay on Michelle's chest. And then after I was released from the headlock, and all the pain that I experienced in my lower back, it was worth it, man. It was worth it. So worth it. But you don't have to go through a childbirth experience or a headlock to know that, man, life involves amount of pain. Life is hard for everyone. Life, life can be difficult. Maybe you're in a difficult season in life now. Maybe you're being stretched and challenged in ways that seem really hard. And in this section this morning, we're going to see that God's story of restoration, it extends so much farther than we think. That participation in the story of restoration, for you and I to participate, is going to take courage and persistence to grow where God goes. It's going to take courage and persistence to grow where God goes, so, there are three scenes we're going to focus on in this story of restoration moves forward through challenges and difficulty. The first one is we're going to see distorted accusations. The next one, we're going to see distorted hopes. And lastly, gospel reach. In each of these scenes, they teach us about who we are and, and what we can do and how we can imagine ourselves as part of the story. We're going to, we're going to see how Stephen who was one of the deacons that was appointed to help provide leadership over that ethnic dispute of the the unequal distribution of bread, how this young church and how he stands up, how he responds to distorted accusations that are leveled against him. And we're gonna see that the accusers have this distorted view of hope. Where is hope found? And lastly, we're gonna see that when we face challenges, with courage and persistence, it leads to the Spirit's widening work of restoration in our lives and in the world. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you just bless our time this morning, God? Would, would we be open to the Spirit's work in our hearts, in this space, in this church, God? That, w- that we would see ourselves being invited to be an actor on the stage with you. Lord, speak to us, fill us, encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first one we see is distorted accusations. This is in Acts 6, beginning in in verse 8. It says, Now, Stephen full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the freedmen synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. So they came. They seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against the holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Has your name ever been smeared before? have you ever been falsely accused of something and did that spread around about a decade ago um a, a student named Jamie she became she began coming to cornerstone through the invitation of a high school friend and she had just very little experience of church uh, she had not heard the gospel to its entirety to the point of decision until she started you know attending corner and and Sundays and we shared the gospel with her and the light of Jesus just shined in her in her heart and that semester she came to a trusting relationship with Jesus and the, the next fall in a step of action as God was transforming her we paired together to do surveys at the beginning of the year when new students come you some of you guys have been a part of that some of you are here because you met us out somewhere on the quad we're right outside the quad and early in the morning one day, walking down the path was someone who she hadn't seen all summer since last semester. And there was just, you know, it was like, oh, hey, there's a whole bunch of like, you know, noises and cuteness and pleasantries. And, and I don't know, I, I, how do you girls do? It was like, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time, right? And then the, and, and they're chit chatting and talking, and the student leans back and looks at our, the sign that we have, and she says, what's this for? And Jamie goes, oh, this is the church that, that I'm a part of. And we are, church? No, thank you. And she walks off. <laughs> Jamie turned to me, and she goes, that was rude. After our time, I, uh, I just pulled her aside, and, and, I, and we read Luke 6, 22, 23. And she hadn't really seen this before. It's, Jesus says, Buster you when people hate you when they exclude you or insult you, when they slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven for this is the way the ancestors used to treat the prophets. And so Acts 6 opens up with with Stephen being involved in a smear campaign. But take note what he writes about Stephen. He says he was full of grace and power and wisdom and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what characterizes his life. This, char- this is what characterizes his life and made him effective. So Stephen is brought before his accusers, and the high priest looks at him and says, are these things true? Are they true? Now, what, could, what Stephen could have said is no. <laughs> but instead, he says, brothers and fathers, I mean, he just looks out to the people standing there. He's like, brothers and, and fathers. There's, and in that, there's a familial love and respect. He is falsely accused, but he responds in grace and power and with the Spirit. He is not a pushover. He's not trying to curry favor. It took courage for him to respond this way. Perhaps a time will come when you face some distorted accusations. Maybe this describes something now at, that's, that's happening now, maybe at work or, or maybe within your own family. How, how do you want to respond when someone ridicules your pursuit of Jesus? How do you want to respond? There's a temptation to cancel people. I would just cut them out. I don't, I don't need the negative energy. But what if instead grace and power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, what if that characterized your response? I think it takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage to face accusation with a lot of tenderness and love, respect and grace. As a community here, as a church, I want... I want us to be known as people who live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit is at work in us. That is what makes us effective. What makes the church effective is not business principles, it's not marketing, but it's the Spirit of God that is in us. And the result is persistent courage that is often creates deep growth in our lives. See, because Jesus invites you and me to fully live in his grace and his presence, not just on Sundays, but in each moment, in each scene in our lives. Maybe this is the key takeaway for you, that growth this year is learning to live. What we see in Acts is learning to live in the presence of God, where he's at work, with your roommates, with family members, with your kids, with your spouses. So back to the scene of Stephen. This is reminiscent of Peter's dialogue in chapter 2 that we saw, that he he preached this sermon, and 3,000 people get added to the church. Stephen responds to to his brothers and his fathers, and he speaks for the next, if you have looking at the scriptures, for the next 52 verses. It takes up almost two full pages in my Bible. Essentially, this is the cliff notes, essentially he launches into the history of the Israelites starting with Abraham who left his home to go to a new land. And then he talks about Moses and the law, but in particular, how Moses grew up in Egypt, and he fled to Midian for 40 years. How he returned and led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, to the new land that was promised to Abraham. And if you read what he says, and kind of read between the lines, he mentions in this place all of these physical uh, spaces and buildings like the temple. He, he, in his response also there, which is kind of that retelling of the history, he refers to the promised land to the people he's speaking to. He says, well, that's the promised land that you are living in. He refers to the law of God as the law that God gave you. He distances himself from these men in order to point out that he is not one of them. That they are instead like the men of the scriptures who refuse to listen to the prophets. So he points. uh, His point is that these Jewish leaders who killed Jesus—they're not worthy of God's gift of the land and the law because they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is one of the prophets. That one is the person the prophet spoke of. Their hope is distorted. Their hope is in land and temples and buildings. Their hope misses the heart of God, which is calling people to himself. Their hope is in the law, not the one who created the law. You see, but he focuses on, but Abraham believed God. This belief is more important than the land itself. Furthermore, the fact that God calls his people into a foreign country points out the movement of the second scene here is that Stephen received distorted accusations, but he points out to the leaders a distorted hope. How? Well, the message of restoration, of salvation, is universal in scope. It's not about land or temples or merely laws or customs. Those things, collective things, are things that point us to the knowledge of a holy God that he has created a way and desires a way for me to know him personally. Your hope shouldn't be in your customs, your laws, your temple, your land. You got it all wrong. It's a distorted view, it's a distorted hope. It's like saying, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yes, I believe that he's a person who did great things, but I don't actually need him, I'm, I'm good enough. A, a, friend, a friend used to say uh, this, That walking into a church no more makes you a Christian than walking into a garage makes you a car. True hope is crucial for life. It's crucial. And so what Stephen is doing is he's pointing out that the promises of God are not found in in land or law. That's not the hope. But it's a universal hope here. You have that, but we have what God has called to bring, which is the Spirit working through His people to bring restoration to the land that you now live in. And as a people, we tend to be okay with you know, things the way that they are. But Acts is about the early church stepping into the, the story of re- God's story of redemption. And those who accused Stephen, they weren't interested in moving outside of their own boundaries. They, they didn't want to, they, they were secure in the land and the law and their buildings. They did not think going outside the boundaries mattered. They were content with staying there. Are we? What risks do we face when we focus outside of our boundaries? What risks are there if we are to extend ourselves outside of our boundaries? boundaries of our life right now, the boundaries within our church. If you're not familiar with the story, Stephen was killed. (laughs) He was martyred. That likely won't, that probably won't be our fate. Uh, Maybe someone will laugh at you like they did my friend Jamie, or maybe your own transformation will lead to somebody knowing Jesus. But what does it take to knowingly, in grace and power, in the presence of God, extend ourselves beyond where we are at? I think it takes courage and persistence to grow where God goes. It'll take courage and persistence in your life to grow where God goes. And guys, he's on the move. He is, listen, he's currently working in the people that are around you. He's working on them. Every time you guys step outside i don't know there have been some clear nights and i've just looked up at the stars the scriptures say that the heavens declare the glory of god god is always always speaking so perhaps there's a friend on campus who you want them to experience the light of christ but you haven't shared your own journey with them what is stopping you from doing that something might be what is stopping you so maybe a fear of being judged fear of being canceled, fear of losing a friend. You know, you probably spend time with, you know, someone in that uh, club or studying or or lunch. Usually when I'm not sure what um, someone would say if I invited them to come to church or come to, you know, a corner, Um, if I'm not sure what they would say, I ask them what they would do if I invited them. Do you guys hear that? Okay. So for instance, will you come to church with me on Sunday is a little different than what would you say if I invited you to church this Sunday, right? With that friend, try this. Just try it, right? It, it's a starting place. It, it, it's just one spot removed from just <clears throat> a yes, no, or maybe. Right? Right? It's just one step removed. What would you say if I invited you to, to a Super Bowl party tonight? I don't know. Right? That, does that seem like in your face? No. I, I hope you guys see it. It's like, hey, what would, you, what, would you, what would you think? Right? What would you say if I invited you to a Bible study this week? The, learn how to start spiritual conversations. Learn how to just, just, just let it be a part of your life just your presence as you are working through. Let the gospel extend outside of your own boundaries. Because, because listen, guys, listen, the risks of pain, the pain of pregnancy, they are always worth it. They are worth the rewards. In fact, there are hardly any rewards without risks or effort or pain. Right? There's hardly any rewards without that. I bet you Jake had a a t-shirt in high school that said, you know, pain is weakness leaving the body. Probably did, yeah. All (laughs) right? Ah, there it is. Nailed it. (laughs) Right? Listen, guys, there are very few rewards in life without the risks you take. When you take risks, there's always rewards. They're beautiful. For some of you going out to LT, you're gonna, someone's going to say, do you want to do FHO and slide down a glacier? And you're going to say, yes. And then you're going to ask, what exactly does that mean? Right? Lisa, did you do it? Was it worth it? Oh, my goodness. It is so worth it. Right? So chapter 7, it closes, right? This dialogue with Stephen, it closes, and the priests. And the Israelites are so enraged with him that they grab him, they pull him aside, and they stone him to death. He's the first martyr for Jesus, and he's certainly not the last. And we see chapter 8 opening up with this foreshadowing statement. It says, Saul, who we know as Paul, was there, and he oversaw all of it. And because of Stephen's, so that's kind of like, where are we going, right? And because of Stephen's death, many Christians, what happened, what you read is they scattered. They're like, I might be next, and they scattered. But when they did scatter, they brought the message of hope. There was action in their transformation. They brought the message of hope and Jesus with him. So do you see what is happening? The Spirit is moving outside of their boundaries, even outside of their homes, Outside of their lands, outside of their regions, and what's really cool, if you look at a map, Israel is this like sliver here, and then what borders it? It's a land bridge to Europe, it's a land bridge to the continent of Asia, and it's a land bridge to Africa. God was very strategic in the message of the gospel that would go out to all people the spirit is moving outside our boundaries and people are struck with the light of Christ and the knowledge of who he is and they experience life transformation and then God is using them to be light to other people. And so the direct response to stoning of Stephen led to this gospel reach. People moving outside the boundaries. And so the spirit is continuing to move outside the temple. God is filling more and more people with the spirit of Jesus. In Acts 8, it says that Philip who was one of the twelve. He was one of the disciples of Jesus who walked with him and talked with him and ate with him and, 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 and was there probably when he was crucified and saw him after the resurrection. He knew Jesus personally. He leaves the area and he begins to share Christ with people and we get this one scene where, where he meets up with this Ethiopian eunuch who was the finance minister to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He finds this man in his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. If you're not familiar with this chapter, it is just a classic messianic chapter about the chosen suffering servant. And so Philip sees him in this chariot. He's reading from this scroll, and, and he says, and the eunuch turns to him and, and, and he, after Philip greets him, and he says, is, is this about the prophet or someone else? And Philip says, oh, what you're reading is about someone else. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, nope, how can I? I got no one to explain it to me. And so Philip climbs into the chariot and begins to tell him about Jesus. Because of the scattering of the stoning of Stephen, Philip was persistent. He had courage to continue bringing the message of Christ that he gets into this chariot. And he begins to tell this guy about Jesus. So the gospel is moving outside of our boundaries. And what does he say? He says, Jesus is the lamb that was the man of, of suffering. He was the one who was despised. Jesus bore sickness and pain. He was pierced because of a rebellion. He was crushed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. His wounds heal us. The conversation continues in this chariot ride. And the Ethiopian, uh, a Gentile black man from Africa, trusts in Jesus. And they continue the ride. Like he's just he's just sitting in this chariot going on a ride, and then and then and then the eunuch is like, "There's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? Nothing." <laughs> so they get out, and he gets baptized. And so the pain of Stephen's, you know, life and his death, it led so many people to scatter that they didn't they didn't stop talking about Jesus. It could be why because it takes it took courage, and persistence. These are people, men and women of courage and persistence to grow where God goes. And God is moving outside of our boundaries. Can we join him this week, today, in where he's going? Uh, C.T. Studd, some of you may know about his life. C.T. Studd is a man who, he had a multi-million dollar cricket career in England. He gave it up. He gave it up to pursue preaching the gospel on the continent of Africa. He famously said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And so Philip persisted in sharing Christ with this high-ranking official who Listen. God was at work on his life. God was already working on his life. And my guess is that there are very, probably, very few uh, chariot ride gospel con- conversions in history. There's probably there's at least one we know of one. And we read this, and we might think, oh, this is normal behavior, right? Sometimes we read scripture and we're like, oh, I guess he just hopped in a chariot, just went where this guy went, and we just might not be surprised by this. I mean, come on, it's, it's Philip. This is just what he does. But Philip had a life. <laughs> he, he had a life. He did. Th- he probably did things in his life. But one thing he clearly did was that he was open to the Spirit's leading in his life. And the Spirit led him to chariot hop with this man for the sake of the gospel. And Acts 8 says that the Spirit led Philip. The Spirit led Philip. Man, I would just, it would be like a may, I would be so thrilled to hear you guys talking about how in your day you feel like the Spirit's leading you. That you'd be Spirit-led in your day. That the Spirit would lead you. And that you'd be thinking about this week, well, whose who's chariot is God calling me to hop into today? Who, whose chariot am I just going to hop into Would you be up for that ride? Would you do it? I hope you would be. I I hope it would be fantastic because it's it's true that transformation can happen in big decisions. We make big decisions to turn to Jesus, like transformation happens in big decisions, but it mostly, it mostly happens in our lives through small incremental changes. here's what I want us to consider today as we kind of lean into this passage that it will take courage and persistence for us to grow, for you to grow where God goes. And so here's a question. What small change can you commit to in order to chariot hop this week? What small change? What small change can you make? Let me me just offer something for us to do. When you wake up tomorrow, just take 15 seconds. Uh, Tomorrow's Monday, I know. Take 15 seconds and pause and say to God, Father, help me be sensitive. Help me to be sensitive to the Spirit today. Help me to listen to you. Just help me to be sensitive today. Help me to listen to you. And you know what's going to happen next? I have no idea. But it's exciting. It's exciting. Man, it would be so cool if you guys, if a number of you just flooded me with some stories. Hey, this week I've just been saying... Lord, help me to be sensitive to the Spirit. You might have forgotten your insulin in Colorado, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, and someone who's sensitive to the Spirit is also type 1 and has insulin for you. Man, I I hope the Spirit of God leads—that's my story. I hope that the Spirit of God leads us to have all sorts of conversations and do all sorts of things we maybe normally wouldn't do, but we do now because we're just sensitive to God's Spirit and there listen there have been many times where i've just felt a nudge just on campus to go and talk to somebody it was like oh man i, I don't know like i'll come up to somebody and i'll be like hey and they're sitting alone studying and it's i know i'm like your dad right but i was like hey is it, I just, are you okay is everything okay everything going on where people get offended and they're like yeah i'm fine so you get totally rejected but that's fine that's right that's just going to happen And I'm like, did I hear Jesus wrong? I don't know, but I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the nudge. There there have been other times where God has interrupted my day because I was being faithful to listen to his promptings. And perhaps one small thing you could do is to decide today to act on a prompting that you've already heard. Maybe God's given you a prompting and you can act on it is a prompting you've already heard from God and you can act on it today so go for a ride this week not literally I'm not suggesting you know but but hop on to what God is already doing what don't get in it well yeah unless you have their number and there's a friend and you're going to my house I guess maybe that's that's always like right right um like if, you know, right? So Super Bowl, right? So that could be so it. Was, could be a stranger, but meet them if they're here, first. Um, but often through pain and with courage and persistence, the family of God widens. It widens, and we believe that He wants this for your lives. I believe He wants this for your life and for this church. And God is drawing many people at ISU to to Him, and they're not here yet. Um, I want to share with you guys that I've just been feeling a sense of expectancy from the Lord. Um, I believe and I expect that God is doing a beautiful thing in, in our midst, that he's, he's calling you to himself and he wants to use you in the story of restoration. I sense that he's calling us to go deeper and wider. Um, man, we pray that, that you would just have an opportunity to meet with the Spirit today, meet with Jesus today. And, and so we have an opportunity to do that and uh, affirm that and to come and pause our lives through communion, that, that we can come and just know that Jesus is the suffering servant, that he was the one who was pierced for me, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so as we get ready to go into communion, I want to tell you another story that appears in these chapters because it's about a man named Simon. And in, in chapter 8, Simon experiences the disciples living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, and Simon offers the disciples money. He says, oh man, I wish, can I get some of that? Here's some money. Would you lay your hands on me so that I can have the power of God too? And the disciples rebuke him because they say, listen, Well, you can't buy Jesus. You can't buy him. It's not for sale. And so as we kind of pause and then go into this time of communion, what do you think you still need to pay for? Is there anything that you think you still need to pay for? And I want you guys to know that the answer is nothing. It's nothing And God's invitation to us to come and receive him is as a gift. There's nothing you need to pay for. Jesus paid it all. And so we come to him this morning. And communion is a time for us who have experienced the light and the transforming power of Jesus to just come and be with him and recognize that his body was broken for us. His body was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds we're healed. That his blood was shed. His blood was shed, poured out for me for the forgiveness of sins. That he makes a new covenant that all who come to him will never be rejected. And so as we move into this time of communion and and worship, I invite you guys who have experienced the new life in Jesus to join us. But if this doesn't describe your life, then... You, you don't need to go back there. Uh, you can sit and, and listen and take this in because we so want it to be true that you can say yes, yes to Jesus. Your body was broken for me personally. Your blood was shed for me personally. And so um, just stay and sing and worship with us. Um, would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Father in Heaven, uh, Lord we, yeah, Lord, we invite you this week to help us be sensitive to the Spirit's work in our lives, that your word and work of restoration would go beyond our walls, beyond our boundaries that we have. Lord, we just we thank you for the work of transformation in our lives. Lord, as as we come to a time of communion, Lord, help us to be sensitive to what your spirit is calling us to do and to become. And Lord, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here with me would be present when you come in the fullness of your glory to judge the living and the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.